You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. So much movement, so many kids. Such a good thing to have. Such, such, love the noise. Wonderful thing. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open that to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19 is where we are this morning. If you've been with us, you know that as a church, one of the things we do uh, on the regular is just kind of work our way through different parts of the Bible. Uh, We'll take on a book at a time and just kind of work week by week, verse by verse, uh, finding our way through and seeing what God has to say to us in that. We do usually in the month of December take a little bit of a break uh, to to look at some passages that are uh, centered around the person of Christ. They're centered around Christmas. They help us to to, to think about uh, the time that we have in this season. Uh, but what we've decided to do this year is to just continue working our way through the book of Revelation. As Pastor Rush mentioned last week, looking at these verses with uh, kind of colored by Christmas, either uh, Christmas colored by Revelation or Revelation colored by Christmas, we see that really these things are speaking of truths that are, that are intricately intertwined. And that as we read together and we continue to just look through the book of Revelation, we'll see some things that speak to us about this time that we need to hear. And so I hope that as we spend time working our way through chapter 19 uh, and beginning into 20 over over the coming weeks, that it will be encouraging to you as we look together at the the comings of Christ, that we put the, the first Advent, the first coming, and the second Advent, the second coming, sort of side by side. And we see that there are so many similarities in the songs that we sing, in the, in the things, in the ways that we approach these. And so I hope that it is encouraging to you. If you have your Bible, I'd like to just read the, the first six verses of Revelation chapter 19 to kind of help us get our bearings here. What we read here at the beginning of Revelation 19 in verse 1 is this, from the Apostle John, he writes, After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great prostitute who was corrupting the earth with her sexual immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. As you know, I don't have to tell you this. Guys, Christmas is coming up fast. It does this every year. I think it's way off down the road. 
and I got plenty of time for shopping and all the things we need to do. And then it's here. And I don't know how that happened. And it seems like every year it goes a little bit faster. The days just, they, they roll by. It comes so fast and there's nothing we can do to stop it. But this time, these weeks leading up to this are a time that historically the church has sort of set aside to spend time thinking about anticipation. Reminding ourselves that anticipation is at the center of the Christian life. Of course, we regularly call it by a different word. The word we use more frequently is hope. We are expectant. We know that Jesus has come. He ascended to the Father, but he is returning. And what we've been reading about here in Revelation tells us about the things which will occur when Jesus returns. We want to see this anticipation and we don't want to miss it. That really is, is what this passage is, is trying to, to tell us, what I, what I think we can see from it this morning as we, as we unpack this. You know, this hallelujah, your copy of the Bible might call this, this passage the fourfold hallelujah. That's because that's repeated there four times. We have four different hallelujahs, each one building on top of the other. More and more celebration. The words might sound familiar to you as, as connected to Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus. The, those are pulled from different parts of Scripture. And those are, are uh, sung at Christmas time, although they were originally intended to be sung at Easter. All of that is built around this coming anticipation. You might not even realize that that hallelujah, that chorus, you know, is really a piece of a much larger work. It's, it's a whole piece of scripture passages intertwined. Things like what we just read from the book of Isaiah in chapter 60, where we're reading about this great light that Israel is looking forward to. This king that they're looking forward to. And when he is born, there will be celebration and rejoicing. And people from all around the world will bring things to him, like gold and frankincense. Did you notice that in the passage? Those aren't just randomly selected items. When Jesus came, when he, when he was born, when he set his feet on the earth, he was fulfilling the very purpose of his father, the purpose that was promised. And so the life of Israel then was a life of anticipation, of looking ahead. And that is true for you and I as well. This is cause for celebration. Now don't let the word hallelujah fool you. We've sung it several times today already. We're going to sing it some more today. I know sometimes I've heard the word used sarcastically, and I just want to get this out of the way. That's, it, it has a sarcastic use, oh, Hallelujah. It has that because, because it's real, because it's expressing something, because it's used all throughout Scripture as this moment when God is present. It's used in the temple where God is present. And it's used in places like this. We'll talk more about it in a moment, but, but don't let that sarcasm get to you. 
try to take this word seriously, this praise God seriously. So this is a moment of expectation. That's what this text is about, and that's what this season is about. One of the things that can be helpful when, you're, when we're studying a, a passage of Scripture can be to, to try to paraphrase what the main point of the text is. And that's what I want to kind of begin for us this morning, is to try to help us think about what this passage is saying and to try to kind of paraphrase the main point of the text. And as I tried to do that and wrestle with kind of, if I were to summarize this text in just a few words or in one sentence, it might be something like this. There would be different ways to do it, but, but it might sound something like this. When God's judgment is complete, his people, the angels, and every part of creation will swell with overwhelming, resounding worship. I'll, re- I'll read that for you again. But I am going to switch it up here just in a minute as a heads up. But let me read that for you again. When God's judgment is complete, his people, the angels, and every part of creation will swell with overwhelming, resounding worship. Almost hear an amen on that, right? That's the hope. That's what we are looking forward to. You can see, and you may remember from last week, in chapter 18, verse 20, we have already been told, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. You remember last week was a passage where we were talking about and thinking about this judgment on Babylon. This this, uh, prostitute, this woman of Babylon who is pictured this way, not in the kind of literal sense. We've got dragons, we've got all this kind of stuff happening here. What we've been seeing is this spiritual adultery, this refusal to acknowledge God. It's a theme throughout scripture that finds its end right here. This is the last time Babylon is mentioned in the Bible. We're done with it after this. And you can see from what we read last week, And what they say in verse 3, her smoke rises forever and ever. She's done. We read that list last week of all of the different parts of the world and all the things that that she has, that that, uh, were impacted. The merchants and the singers and everything else. And all of it will never be found again. Babylon is done for. And there's a call there in in chapter 18, verse 20, to rejoice. And what we see here in chapter 19 is the answer to that call. It's the rejoicing. It's a hallelujah. It's a hallelujah, louder and louder. It's a sort of feedback, a back and forth. They say hallelujah, and then the others shout, and then everyone together shouts louder and louder escalating. That's the sort of thing to where all creation enters this praise. And so another thing that can be very helpful for us to do when we're reading a passage of scripture is to to take that summary of of what you might say that the passage is about and then translate that into an eternal, timeless truth that speaks to everyone. And what I've done is is to to try to do that, and this is the central thing that I want us to hear this morning. Everything else that we say is going to be about this. We had that statement before, which was a one sentence summary of this passage. 
But if we want to try to see something that's timeless and eternal, it might sound something like this. An inevitable, sovereignly directed momentum is accelerating both history and our hearts toward this final triumphant hallelujah. Now, I know that's kind of long. I'm going I'm to read it again, and I'm going to say it again a few times this morning. My hope is that this sense, this momentum, this thing is going to be the thing that we're going to hear this morning. Everything else that we're going to say is, is about this. Let's, let, me, let me say it again. An inevitable, sovereignly directed momentum is accelerating both history and our hearts toward this final triumphant hallelujah. There is nothing that you and I can do to stop this moment from coming. It is inevitable. Jesus has promised that he is returning. He has promised that everything will be made right. And this is what it looks like. You know, we sing sometimes these songs like Joy to the World and, and we think about as, as far as the curse is found and all of these things. Think about what we're singing. We have a hope, a guarantee that Jesus will transform everything and set everything right. It's accelerating at both an objective, big picture, all of history level, everywhere, the nations, the commerce, the everything, business, it doesn't matter what it is in the world. Every part of creation is heading in one direction. But also, something that we experience. It's something in our own hearts. We should feel that direction. We should feel a pull to this place, to this hallelujah. We should feel our hearts being pulled, accelerated toward this moment of final victory. So we're going to look this morning at that, that feeling, that momentum, that pull that we all should feel. And I want you to see why we should feel it. We're going to look together at that. And then I want us to see uh, what it looks like when we do finally get it. And so we're going to look at these things together. The moments here, we don't, we don't live in the moment. We don't live in this sort of celebration. We live in a moment where it's not quite here yet. And, you know, we sing of it again and again all throughout this season. Think about songs like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That's a song that takes the expectations of the Old Testament, of Israel, and, and uses them to mirror in the same way that we do now about our expectation for Jesus coming. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save. There are many others. We could think of songs like in the bleak midwinter or O come, thou long expected Jesus. Hear that one. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. 
We don't live in the moment where everything is happy like this. We're waiting. We're looking ahead. We're, we're longing. That's why these sorts of words from our fears and sins release us. We still pray that today. Even as believers, we're not all that we will be when Jesus returns and he finally makes things right. Praise like this, this kind of hallelujah is, is hidden and is separate from us in this world. It doesn't come naturally to us in the way that it should. When things happen to us, we don't immediately respond with praise all the time, though we might like to say that we do. It certainly isn't our first reaction when the children aren't listening or aren't sleeping. It's not the first thing that comes to our mind when family is being family over the holidays. You know what I mean? We live in a broken world, but we should worship like this. There are so many reasons for you and I to feel this momentum, to feel that we belong in this place of worship because this is where we are headed. Look at the reasons for the hallelujahs in the text in verse two. Because, number one, his judgments are true and righteous. That's the first reason we're given. The next reason comes right after. Look, because, for, for he has judged the great prostitute who is corrupting the earth. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. There are three reasons that were given right there. True and righteous judgments. There is no other judge in the world who can, who can truly give true and righteous judgments. We do our best. The systems are set up to, to try to, to, to reach justice, to reach truth. But we know all around us there is still injustice and there's a lot of lying going around. Truth and justice don't reign, but they will. And that's cause to celebrate. He has judged this, uh, this, this woman, this great prostitute. And remember, if we're not looking in the full passage, we're forgetting that, that uh, all of the things that we've been told about her, about how she has deceived the world, murdered God's people, led so many astray so that there's no part of the world that's untouched by what she has done. A clean, a new, a fresh start is needed. Like uh, needing to, to reboot a computer. Not just a reboot, but wipe it clean. Sometimes it doesn't just start restarting, it doesn't work. You gotta wipe it clean and be done with it and start over. That's the sort of thing that's needed here. You and I can't do that. For some reason, the other night, last night, I think it was, in the, in the car with my children, we were talking about uh, trying to solve the problem of world peace. My 10-year-old's probably going to do it. I, don't, I mean, you know, she had it mastered. Why? <laughs> Just tell him to not fight. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. <laughs> tell him to be quiet and sit down. <laughs> okay. We can't do it. We don't get a chance to like, go back and redo the founding of America without slavery, right? We can't do that. Those are the sorts of things that we have to figure out how to, how to live now with the consequences of sin. All justice that we have now is partial. Should we work toward better? Yeah, absolutely we should. 
But we also know that this is the moment where we look forward to where things will be right. He's avenged the blood of his bondservants. She had her blood, their blood on her hands. You remember other points, if you've been paying attention going along here, where, where there have been questions about why are all these martyrs dying and what happens when they do? When will they finally be avenged? What will be done about it? How long will you be silent, God? These are the sorts of things that we've read. They're, they're all through the book of Revelation. This is a, a major theme of, of Revelation is what's happening to these martyrs. And so for you and I, one of the things that we should hear when we read that verse, he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her, we should hear a message about the faithfulness of God. Because God said he would not be silent. God said he would do something. He wouldn't just uh, leave them. And here he does something about it. We can be reminded that God is faithful. These are reasons that we should worship, reasons that we're told here in the text for this hallelujah, the momentum toward this hallelujah. You and I should celebrate our hearts should be caught in this momentum. We should be able to be a people who worship. And again, don't get caught up in the word hallelujah. You know, the word itself probably means something pretty simple like praise the Lord. Like you, praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord, the old ones say. Probably something along those lines. That's how it's translated in, in the Psalms. It's, it's sort of a command to praise the Lord. It's there a ton, and like I said, it seems to be related to temple worship, closely tied to the presence of God. But the New Testament, so when it uses it in a place like this, it's reminding us that God is present. It's the sort of thing that is sung around the throne of God. Let's not, uh, let's not miss what it means. And you might hear this sort of thing about a hallelujah and about singing, about worshiping, and you're like, just... You know, I'm this not much of a singer. Maybe I just don't, you know, I don't feel it. Maybe that's you. I would encourage you as you hear this, don't get caught up on the, the singing, the shouting. This is something more. And you know what? When you and I sing together in church, there's, there's something more that's happening. And maybe it isn't just about, well, I don't maybe feel a certain way about this, or about it, or, or, or that. But when we're singing, we are speaking truth to ourselves. And we're reminding the person next to us that they're not alone. That there's more than one of us in this thing. That we can all confess these truths together about who God is. About who and what is worthy of our time and our attention. Why are we here? Why are we doing what we do? We all need to be reminded. That's that, that's why this is so crucial in our lives today. Maybe there's more going on when we're singing than, I could, than we could even say out loud. God called us to do this thing. And so we should. Maybe you're thinking that this worship thing sounds foreign to you because you, you just feel like you have to manufacture some kind of feeling. I want to encourage you to rethink that. 
you know, maybe you've been in church for a while and for whatever reason, the thing that other people seem to have that there's like some feeling or whatever, and you just don't feel that. You're not sure about all that. And you wonder if maybe this is, this is not for you. I want you to really, really consider. Rethink. Maybe it isn't so much about how you feel, but it's a spiritual reality that's beyond your senses. It's beyond what you can just feel or, or, or put words to. Maybe even take some time this season as we're looking forward to Christmas to, to rethink who Jesus is to you and what you expect from him because he tells you what he'll do. He'll tell you who, who he is. You might think that this means that you always have to feel a, a kind of happy way. Sometimes we feel like church is, you know, a bunch of people with smiles and stuff like that. Happy-go-lucky kind of folks. Sometimes. But not always. You know, when we look at Scripture, it's not all one hallelujah. It culminates. It's headed there, but that's not always what it looks like. What we see instead are people suffering. We see people crying out with tears, longing for things to be better, longing for things to be different, to be made right. We see person after person, men and women, in moments of pain, hurt, broken. But maybe, maybe, as we reorient our hearts to see where history and our hearts are headed, it will reshape and reframe the way that we suffer. Maybe it's possible to have hope even in those things. You're not going to find this momentum on your own. You're not going to be able to search for it and get to it. Finding your way into Christmas nostalgia and tapping into it just right with the right songs and the right decorations and the right everything is actually not going to bring you any closer to Jesus this season. Not that those things are bad, but looking back, looking to those sorts of things is not the, is not the secret. That's not what we're after. Nope. Pastor Rush reminded us last week that God's people are looking for a city, a country that is not their own. There have been a number of authors, and I think C.S. Lewis was one that was particularly good at it, uh, reminded us that in speaking of a, of a desire for, for the past, a kind of lost, nostalgic feeling, we're looking for a kind of far-off country. We're looking for a, a place where we belong. And people are all the time trying to put names on it and get it and capture it. They're looking for the spirit of Christmas. They're looking to their families. They're looking for everything. And they're going to try to capture this thing that's this nebulous sort of nostalgia thing. And it's uncatchable because it doesn't exist. 
But have you ever considered that that longing in your heart for the place where you belong, the, the, the thing, the place, that home for the holidays and all the, the sort of thing that people are trying to cling to and trying to capture is actually reminding all of us that there's a place where we belong. The place where we belong is before the throne of God right here saying hallelujah. Amen. That's where you and I belong. That's why Jesus came to bring us to that place. We should be able, hopefully, to, to transform the way that we think about some of these things. So rather than trying to, to grasp at control for all of the holidays and the meals and making sure that everything goes just right and everybody does exactly what they're supposed to do and all of the things, we relinquish some of that because we know there's something bigger happening. We ask ourselves, what is the purpose of this season? And we allow it to direct our hearts back to this place. This celebration. You're not going to find it on your own. You can't search and get this momentum. What do we see here though? Who is it? Who does it belong to? Read with me here again in verse four. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, listen to who he calls, give praise to our God, all you, his bondservants. You who fear him, the small and the great. This, brothers and sisters, is everybody. Everyone who isn't a part of the previous passage. We had that drawn to our attention last week, that there are some who will continue to, to rebel against God to the end, and their end is destruction. We know that's where they're headed, but that's not what this passage is. Now, this passage is after that, when the smoke is still going up, as it will continue to. There's celebration and every single person who follows God is called here in this moment to give praise to God. This voice, we don't know exactly who it is. Some, will, some commentators will say that it's the voice of Jesus. Others say that Jesus doesn't usually say our God, and if, it was, if it's saying that, it's probably an angel or something like that. It's likely that it's kind of meant to be sort of ambigu ambiguous. We don't, we don't know who the speaker is, but what we know is who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the elders, these 24 who we've already talked about. They're the summation of, of 12 from the Old Testament and 12 from the New. This putting together of the 24, the entire and complete people of God. All of these who are called to belong, God is vindicating and he's rescuing his people. So one of the things that we say often and we can see here is that our worship is a response to what God has already done. Our worship is a response to what God has already done. If we begin searching, trying to manufacture feelings, trying to get there ourselves, trying to do all that, you won't get there. 
You will only get there by seeing what God has done beforehand. By hearing the voice of God speak to you and telling you who you are. You are my child. You are my servant. You belong to me. These passages here in the, in the uh, small caps, you can see, come from the Old Testament. And these passage, passages are ones that look back to the rescue of Israel, where Israel's looking back to the Exodus and saying, look at what God has done. Look at how faithful he's been. We know he will continue to be faithful. And now here again, they're rescued from the hand of this woman of Babylon. All of this is possible because of what Jesus has already done. The second advent happens and is guaranteed because of the first. That's why we can look forward with hope. That's why we, we can know that this happens. One of the things we say again and again as a church is that our, all of the Christian life is really about this. It is about you and I hearing what God has done for us and believing it. That's it. That's, that's, where the, that's where our growth comes from. It's learning and applying the gospel. We know the truth about us that we were created by God. We rebelled against God from the very beginning so that all of us are fallen and cannot reach him on our own. In fact, we wouldn't even want to. We would continue to be rebels running away from him. But God, he loved us. He sent Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the very second person of the Trinity, to become one of us, to take on flesh and to redeem it. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. He died the death that we deserved. But rather than staying in the grave, he came out the other side three days later. And he ascended to the Father. And he is ruling and he will come again and establish his rule perfectly. If we hear that, if we live in that world, in that framework, then it changes everything else. It's at the center and it needs to be at the center of everything that we do. I hope that as you hear Christmas carols this year, that you don't forget to listen to the way they remind us about Jesus. The good ones anyway. Even the bad ones in some surprising way sometimes. Pastor Rush talked about our boy Santa last week. We're reminded again and again about the work that Jesus has done. The ground of your worship, the reason you can worship, the reason you can shout hallelujah is because you are told who you are. You are told where you belong. You are mine, God says to you. And it's because of that that we can shout hallelujah. It's because of that that these voices get louder and louder and louder. Did you see that? The momentum there in the text. I hope if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, that you hear that message, that you hear that story about what God has done, and that you take it to heart. There is a joy, a comfort, a peace that is available to you 
Even if things won't all be immediately set right, we know that one day they will. And you can have hope. It is possible. Grab me or someone next to you or one of the pastors at the back if you want to know more. We'd love to talk more with you about that. But if you are a believer, this truth, this declaration here is already yours. Do you hear that? This rejoicing here isn't really a a rejoicing about the destruction or in the destruction. It's not about like gloating over someone as if somehow, uh, well, we're better, we're on the right side and all of these things. Rather, what they're celebrating is very clear. They're celebrating God. They see who he is and what he is doing. They see his character. They know all of these promises that God has made and they're seeing them all coming together. All of history, everything coming to a head in the person of Jesus. This speaks to imperfect worshipers like you and I. We don't have to be great singers. We don't have to feel or manufacture some kind of feeling. You don't have to have the right amount of chipperness when you show up for church. That's not what it's about. God is doing work in all of our lives. And from week to week, day to day, it looks a little different for all of us because we're in process. We're not at this moment just yet, but we all know we're looking forward to it. Don't miss what a remarkable, otherworldly, astounding thing is happening here in this text. Listen to the way he talks about the sounds. Like a, like a. He can't get to what exactly it sounds like. And he keeps trying. In verse 6, I heard something like a voice of a great multitude. It was, it was kind of like uh, the sound of many waters, the rushing, roaring wave. It's kind of like the sound of, of mighty peals of thunder. He's trying to layer image upon image these sounds that you and I have heard that shake you. When you go, ha, you're like startled by how loud something is. And he's grabbing at all those things and trying to layer them on top of each other to try to catch you and stop you and make you pay attention to just how loud and incredible this image is. The language of of roars like this are used in different places in the Bible. There are some striking similarities to Ezekiel chapter 1 here. Over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. Ezekiel 1, 22 is where I am. You don't have to turn there. Under the expanse of their wings were stretched out straight, one toward each other. Each one had two wings covering his body on one side and on the other. I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went, like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of a tumult like the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. These are these moments of trying to capture what seeing a vision of God is like. Trying to put into words what this sort of thing could look like and what it might be like. 
this, this radiance, this astounding moment. We have here the elders again. Don't forget, these are, these are elders that, are, there's 24 of them. They're clothed in white. They have crowns on their heads. They're all the time falling down to worship in Revelation. We see again the mention of the four creatures here. Don't forget these creatures. Earlier on in the book of Revelation, we have them described to us in, in chapter 4. It said that the that one living creature was like a lion, the second was like a calf, the, the third one had the face of a man, and the fourth creature uh, like a flying eagle. And they all have six wings, and they're full of eyes around and within. They don't stop. They praise all the time. What a crazy thing this is. What an otherworldly moment this is. This is not something that you and I have seen. There's nothing that we can perfectly compare it to. And yet, this is a far off country. This is the place where you and I belong. This is the place that God has designed for us to be. And we'll see in the coming chapters just exactly what that looks like when people start to to live as God's people as it begins to look like a new city and, and new things that are built. But here we have the, at the very core of it, this hallelujah. God's people with God saying the thing that they should be saying, that they were made to say. In looking at this passage, I uh, looked up what was the loudest naturally occurring sound the uh, internet tells me, you know, we know the internet, right? Seems, th- this, this does seem relatively legitimate, or I, w- I wouldn't be saying it. Krakatoa is a volcano that erupted on August 27th of 1833. We know that happened, that's for sure. This thing, this volcano, essentially blows up there in, in Indonesia. There are references of people in Australia over 2,000 miles away hearing the sound of it, sounding like a, like a rifle, like it still sounds like a gunshot, loud, 2,000 miles away. Not only that, there are references uh, all in different parts of the world, even in Europe, where they, they couldn't hear the sound, but there were detectable pressure changes in the air. And essentially, the, the uh, sound moving through the air could be detected on the other side of the world. One study even suggests that it probably traveled multiple times around the world in a detectable way. That is astounding. And when I read that, I could not help but stop and think that one of the loudest sounds we ever know happened. It traveled all around the world. But some people couldn't hear it. That's kind of like this moment here. These, these creatures, they don't stop singing. They don't stop praising. We're told that. This song of hallelujah is happening. We just can't hear it like this yet. We don't hear the multitude. We don't hear the roaring waters, but it's there. It's present. 
And you and I, we can, we can learn to, to be a part of that, to, to hear it, to echo and, and say it in the world around us. This, this gigantic roar is real and it can play itself out in regular, simple patterns in your life. The roar of the hallelujah. This place that we're all hurtling towards is present when we're all singing here, gathered together. It's there in the the carols that we sing, looking forward to this moment in Christmas. The worship that you take part in, the songs you're singing in your car, the times when you're reading your Bible, when you're sharing with one another, when you're meeting in community groups and reminding one another about the goodness of God, all of it resounds to this hallelujah. It's this sound that we all need to learn to hear because it's there and it's present and it's real. And it's where we're all headed. It's the place that our hearts were made for. And so in this season, it is a season of anticipation. These weeks are weeks looking forward to the celebration of Jesus' first coming. We don't hear all this just yet, but we know we will. I want to encourage you this week and in the coming weeks to leverage these not yet moments as moments of praise. And here's what I mean. Leverage the not yet moments as moments of praise. There are going to be times when you're reminded that everything isn't right yet in the coming weeks. There will be things that, aren't, that will not go your way. There will be things that will go wrong. There will be things that you might notice in your own heart that you know aren't the way that they're supposed to be. When those moments come up and things don't go as they should, and we're reminded that we're not yet here, remind yourself that, that's right, we're not yet, but we are headed this way. It's certain. Jesus has said so. This is where we're headed. Those moments can be moments of praise. They can be moments for a hallelujah and not a sarcastic one. The days are barreling by. Faster and faster. But we know exactly where they're headed. And we can rejoice. We can know that an inevitable, sovereignly directed momentum is accelerating history and our hearts toward this final triumphant Hallelujah. Let's pray. Our God, this morning we come to you again and we thank you for your kindness. We know that you are a kind and just God. We know that even though there are, there are ways that we forget you, there are ways that we fail We know that we don't merely rest on our works. Rather, we we trust on your work. We believe in what Jesus Christ accomplished for us.
I pray that you would help us in the coming weeks to, to work into our hearts a, a desire, a longing for this moment. Help us to long to see your face. Help us to, to truly rejoice knowing that you came to us to show us who you are and that you are right now doing the work to draw us and bring us back to yourself. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.